0: Luke chapter number 15, uh, one of the most familiar stories, passages in all of the Word of God. But I hope this morning to show you some things that you've not seen before. I may not, uh, but I do hope to show and I trust that I'll show you some things that you need this morning. Beginning in verse number 11 of uh, Luke chapter number 15, the Word of God says, And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me And no man gave unto him. When he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry." For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word this morning. I thank You, Lord, that we have Your inspired, preserved Word. I pray that You'd help us to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit today in the preaching and in the listening. Father, that You would allow us to receive from You that message that You have providentially set forth in plan from before the world was until this very moment. Lord, we recognize the importance of these moments as we sit in Your house and hear Your Word. So, Father, just help us to be surrendered to You. If there's one amongst us that's lost and undone, show them their need of Calvary. Lord, if there's any amongst us that have strayed and veered away from a close fellowship with You, I pray, Lord, that You'd draw them back close to Yourself. But in all things, Lord, everything that takes place, our chief purpose and prayer request this morning, Lord, is that You'd receive the glory. Father, we love You. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, there's probably not a person in this room that has never heard the story of the prodigal son. And I'll confess to you as a preacher that when you read commentaries, when you hear sermons, that there are basically two differing opinions concerning what this story is about. Uh, some believe that uh, this story portrays to us two sons, uh, that both of them are saved. One of them gets out of the will of his father, uh, leaves his father's house, goes into a far country, And another one remains in his father's house and gets just as far out of the will of God, mind you, at his father's house, uh, that the other did in the far country. Uh, Some believe that this is a story about two saved uh, young men, a parable about two saved young men. Others believe that the prodigal that leaves, that strays away, uh, is in fact not saved. I'll go ahead and tell you this morning that I believe that this passage, that there is truth in both of those thoughts. You see, when I read this passage... I do see that this man had two sons. Now, there's only one way you become a son of God, and that's to be born again to receive Jesus Christ. The Bible says in the book of John, as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. It's also not lost on me that his father uses this language, said this, my son uh, was dead and now he's alive. And there's no question that you and I, before we saved, was lost in trespasses and sins. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. i believe I believe there's really a third application. We're not going to preach it today, but uh, I believe that this also has to do with the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, you don't have to believe that. uh, But this morning, I want us to take a few moments and look at this prodigal son and think about him in relation uh, to the believer's spiritual walk with God. I wish I could tell you that as a believer, you're never going to stray from God. But I'd have to lie to you to tell you that. Uh, Now, let me say that you don't have to. Uh, You don't have to make the choice to walk away from fellowship with the Lord. Uh, but the stark reality of it is, everyone I've ever met has had times when they have drifted from God. Uh, you stay uh, in this world long enough after you've been born again, there's probably going to be times when you're going to drift away from God. And the reality is, every one of us, whether we need this as a particular truth in our life or where we're at at this moment, or whether we need it as preventative medicine to keep us at the Father's house, every one of us of us needs this story this morning. You see, when I see this prodigal son, I do see a picture of myself. I see the temptations that this world throws at the believer. I think about our young people, and I think about all the things that they have to face. I tell you, we're awful hard on young people sometimes, but here's the reality. They're growing up in a different world than you grew up in. Uh, There was a time when uh, uh, things that you had to go and search and look for and sneak around to get, you can get with the touch of your smartphone. There was a time when, uh, uh, you know, if you wanted to get into drugs, you had to know somebody that knew somebody that knew somebody. Uh, Now young people are taking household cleaners and putting them into their bodies to get some kind of high. Uh, There was a time when if you wanted to associate with people that lead you down the wrong path, uh, you had to get out from your parents' house, get out from the church... Get away from these things. Uh, Now, I hate to say it, friend, uh, but with our school systems in the way that they are, a lot of our kids are spending eight hours, ten hours a day uh, with young people that we really, in the reality of things, wouldn't want them around. I'm saying it's hard on young people in this day that we live in. They're facing things you didn't face. Uh, I have no doubt that if the Lord tarries as this uh, world gets worse and worse and evil men and seducers wax worse and worse, uh, that uh, the grandchildren, the children of those that are children now, are going to face harder and tougher things than these children have faced. But the reality is, you can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden in an environment of perfection, in an environment of fellowship, in an environment of communion, and even there you're going to find temptation to do wrong and to sin. As long as we are in this world, we will never escape the temptation of sin in our life. It will always be present with us. Uh, Now, I know the Bible says that the Lord will always make a way of escape, and we don't have to do the wrong thing. But temptation will always be present with us. I want to give you a few thoughts that I see in this passage. And, And can I say that I believe that if nothing else, the story we have before us this morning is a commentary on the influence that the world has in the lives of Christians. Uh, Can I make a statement this morning, and I hope you'll understand what I mean uh, when I say it. Uh, Do you understand that we live in a day when the world is becoming more churchy and the church is becoming more worldly, and some folks are calling that revival? Uh, Could I say to you today that true revival pulls the church away from the world? True revival severs that influence and those ties. And much of what is touted today as great religious movements and great... I remember hearing one time I was i was up late at night and, I, you know, funny things come on TV, you know, in the middle of the night. I mean, stuff that... Infomercials for products that don't even make sense and stuff like that. And I was uh, up late one night and I was watching TV and uh, this program or this commercial came on about some kind of youth awakening thing or something to that effect. And it said this. It said... Uh, we are seeing tens of thousands of young people saved in our major cities. And I thought to myself, if two men in the book of Acts could be described as turning the world upside down, then I have a hard time believing that tens of thousands are sweeping towards God in many of these major cities. But you see, that's what the world terms revival to fill out a little card, uh, to to make an empty profession, uh, to take something that is inherently worldly and try to paint it up as Christian and adopt it into the carnal appetite of our young people and uh, and of even and it's a shame to say it but even some of our older people too uh, to do that and call it revival is to deceive ourselves. A true revival will cause us to sever from the world. A true revival will pull us into deep communion uh, with the Holy Ghost and with the Son of God. A deep revival or a real revival will cause in us a deep and cutting burden to reach those that are lost without Christ in this world. No, much of what we're seeing today, friend, uh, is not revival. Much of what we're seeing in this day that we live in is this whole world just moving towards a one world religion, towards a one world government, towards a one world empire. Empire, everybody's sitting around holding hands, singing Kumbaya. And let's not talk about Jesus, because he's a divisive character. You see, the world is ever present with us. Temptation is ever present with us. Christ made this prayer, said this to his father. He said, I don't pray that you remove them from the world, but that you keep them from the world. Not that you take them out of the world. I don't believe we ought to be isolationists. Are you listening to me this morning? We ought not to be isolationists. I know some uh, brethren, and God love them, uh, their idea of separation is to lock themselves up on a compound somewhere and never come in contact with anybody. I'm not an isolationist, but I am a separatist. And I do believe that if we're going to stand in this wicked world that we live in, it's not going to be an easy thing. I want us to notice these things very quickly. I don't know which sermon I'll preach today, but whichever one comes out, I guess the Lord's in that. Notice, first off, the attitude of the world in this young person. Can I say that it troubles me to see the attitude that Christianity has took on today? The notion that how dare God expect so much of me? Look at what this young man does. Look with me at verse number uh, 12. The Bible says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Could I say we live in a world where the attitude is that of entitlement? I, I tell you what's what's going to cause this country to go bankrupt. It's the attitude of Entitlement. Now, I'm not talking about programs of entitlement. Uh, I understand there's some of them programs uh, that it's the government's money and everybody else's money, and there's some of them programs, it's your money. You've worked a lot of years to put the money into it, uh, and it's going bankrupt in a heartbeat. I'm very aware of that. But what I mean is this, the spirit of entitlement in this world that we live in. It's owed to me. I'm owed a new car. I'm owed a new phone. I'm owed a new this. I'm owed a new that. It belongs to me. Look at what this young man did. He went to his father and he said, Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. In other words, you know what he had his mind on, don't you? He said, Daddy, one of these days you're going to die and it's going to be mine anyway. Why don't you just go ahead and give it to me? Uh, Can I say to you today that when I see this father, I don't just see an earthly father. Oh, no, I believe this picture is a heavenly father. And can I say that what cripples Christianity today is this, this notion that the things that God gives us, He owes to us. Can I remind you that God doesn't have to be good to you to be God? God didn't have to save you for Him to be God. God is God no matter what He did with your life. And anything that God's done in your life, He's done out of His good graciousness, out of His goodness, out of His mercy. But there is a notion in Christian We have gotten so comfortable, we've forgotten what the darkness was like. We've gotten so comfortable in our modern-day apathetic Christianity... Hey, we're used to Jesus saving people. Isn't that right? We're used to... Oh, I know that not many churches see people say, but I mean, we're used to the idea of it. We're used to Jesus saving people. Could you imagine what it would have been like to be Abraham in Syrian darkness, Abraham in paganism, in hedonism and heathenism, Abraham estranged and alienated from God, and then one day, like God clicks the sun on, God speaks to him. Don't you know that Abraham appreciated his relationship with God? But you see, we live in this day of, uh, of entitlement mentality. It's owed to me. I expect God to do this. I expect God uh, to uh, provide for me. I expect God to go before me. Now, let me say, I'm thankful that he's faithful. And I'm thankful that his mercies are new every morning. And I'm not trying to dissipate the faithfulness or goodness of God. I'm not trying uh, to cast the emphasis away from it. But what I'm merely trying to say is that we've gotten so used to it that we just expect God to do it and we've quit appreciate. There's an interesting word that's used here. It says, the goods that falleth to me. I looked up that word falleth, and uh, you got to be careful about words. Men define words a lot of times, uh, and, you know, you got to be careful. But I found an interesting use of that word. Did you know that sometimes that word falleth was used in the idea of leading a man off as a prisoner, seizing him and carrying him away, sort of like to fall upon someone. And I thought about, man, the environment that we live in today. I thought about the love affair with money that our world is in today. Uh, Could I say that oftentimes the things that God blesses us with, uh, we, through our carnality, turn them into our greatest taskmasters. There's lots of folks work their whole life, God's blessed them, uh, to to give them a boat, uh, to give them a camper, to get them a getaway place, give them enough money to go, and uh, just as soon as he does, they're absent from the house of God. There's lots of folks that God's blessed them uh, with the means to go out and provide themselves, have something, uh, live in something nice, drive in something nice. You say, Preacher, are you against those things? No, I'm not against those things. I'm not saying we shut ourselves away like some sort of monk and take a vow of silence. Some of us, it helped take vow of silence, amen, but uh, not for spiritual reasons, just for social reasons, amen. But uh, what I'm saying is this, God's blessed us with those things and they become our idols. We're going to find here in a moment that those goods were the thing that led that young man away from his father's house. I'm not preaching against having money. I'm preaching against making money your idol. We see an attitude of entitlement. But notice what it says there in verse number 13. And not many days after, not many days after he gathered his goods together. Not many days after. I believe this world is defined by an attitude of entitlement. It's all about me and it's all owed to me. But I think this world's defined by an attitude of ingratitude as well. Wouldn't you think? Listen now, and I'm sure I don't know. I, I don't. Th- you're not going to find this in, in the Bible. I mean, you don't look for it. You'll tear your concordance to pieces trying to find this. But if I know people right, then I can just hear what this young man must have said to his daddy. I can just hear him going up to his father and saying, "Father, one of these days you're going to die, and I need to build a life for myself." And why don't you allow me, Father, to stay here on your farm at your house, but allow me to have some influence and allow me to uh, decide where some of this money goes. Oh, Father, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving. I'm staying right here. But if you'll just give me access, I can really help you and do something with it. All the while, in his heart of hearts, he had different plans. And not many days after, disregarding the goodness of his father, Disregarding the blessings that his father bestowed upon him and starting to look to an outside world to give himself satisfaction, he gathers all of his goods together. Now some of you are saying, oh yeah, preacher, I knew a young person did that. I knew it. Now wait a minute. Wait a minute. Cause if all we do is preach to temporal things, we've not done much. Let's preach to some eternal things. Let's talk about everything that God the Father did for you and I. Let's talk about the fact that when we came to him, we was broken, broken. Uh, Let's talk about the fact that when we came to Him, we was bankrupt and hell-bound. Let's talk about the fact that when we came to Him, we was lost and undone. But through the death of Calvary, an inheritance was purchased for you and I. And we came to Him. You know the wonderful truth about it? See, because Jesus has already died and rose again. His inheritance, we have access to it now. And we came to God and we said, Lord, give me the, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me through Calv." Lord, give me that which you have provided for me. And God said, I'll give you all things that pertain unto life and godliness. I'll redeem you, I'll forgive you, I'll justify you, I'll save you. Everything that's mine is now yours. We're made joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And don't you remember that moment when you got up off your knees and you'd never walk away from God, Never. I mean, God had saved you. God had redeemed you. That darkness was still vivid in your mind, but the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ was shining. and Oh, you rejoiced for what God had done. But it didn't take long, not many days. And pretty soon you started looking out through that window at a lost and dying world and all of their allurements. And you quit appreciating what Jesus did for you when he died on Calvary. If God will help me to tonight, I want to preach on gratitude and the ten lepers. But do you know that's just like you and I? God's redeemed us and saved us, and what do we do? First chance we get, we walk away from fellowship and communion with Him. But you know, that's the attitude of the world. You know something interesting we're going to find? We're going to find that the very thing that this young man did to his father is the very thing that the world did to him. You know, the Bible says, uh, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. I'm worried about my boy growing up because I know how I was. Amen. And the reality of it is we do reap what we sow. And this young man, without without a consideration of gratitude to his precious father, not many days after he gathered his things up, and he went to a far country. I, I see a, a picture in here of the attitude of the world. But can I say a word about the allurements of the world? What was it that drew him away? I began to think about this. And I thought about the environment. You know, you and I, we live in a plugged up world today. I mean, everything's hooked up to everything else. Our phones are hooked to our computers. Our computers are hooked to our tablets. Our tablets are hooked to our cars. We can make toast from the car in the morning. We live in a plugged-up world. And it's hard for us to fathom being in the environment this young man would have grown up in. He would have very much grown up in a world of isolation. It would have been him and his family working that farm, living in his father's house. And yet somewhere, oh, please listen to this this morning. Somewhere he began to hear about a far country. Somewhere in that godly environment. Are you listening parents, grandparents? Somewhere in that sterilized environment that they had provided for him, all of a sudden he began to hear about a far country. Don't think for one moment. And listen, I'm not saying that we, I'm not advocating that we put our kids in the place of temptation. But understand that you ultimately can't keep them away from it, so you better instill something that'll help them stand when that day comes. I don't know who it was that started talking about that far country. It might have been the servants. I don't know. But even, can I tell you something? Can I share something with you this morning? It's become evident to me that nobody's going to do a backflip. I don't think so. I'm just going to preach at you. Can I tell you that I grew up in a godly home, in a Bible church, in a Christian school, and temptation was even there. Can I say, I I grew up, my my parents were careful growing up. That's why I'm so shy today, amen? Because of how careful they were with me. And I mean, I don't mean overprotective, you know, but I just mean, uh, you know, mom and dad, you know, if we want to go stay the night at somebody's house, they'd check them out first, you know, was want none of this business today of just, you know, kick your kid out your door and wherever they're at, they're at, and they'll come home whenever they come home. I didn't grow up like that. I-, I-, I mean, if I wanted to go to somebody's house, mom and daddy, they had to talk to the parents and usually they had to get to know them first. I lived up in a care, I, I grew up in a careful, env- but even in that environment, I heard about the far country. Sure, I heard about it, just like you've heard about it. And some of you think if you stay in church, if you stay in your Bible and if you stay in prayer, that you'll never hear about the far country. But that's not the reality of it. Temptation will always be present with us. And what were the two things that, that these talks, and it may have been with the servants, probably with the older brother, amen? But somewhere he heard about this far country, and it caused two things. Can I say that the world uh, has two things they're trying to cause uh, in everybody, not just our young people, but our adults too. The first was to desire the things of the world. Oh, you can see it as he's listening to these stories about the far country. He 's listening to the wonderful foods that they uh, provide, to the all sorts of uh, drinks and liquors and wines that they provide. He 's hearing about the strange women that live in these countries. He 's hearing about the nightlife. He 's hearing about the parties. Maybe he 's hearing about the financial opportunities. Can I say it's about time that Christians, Christians, quit putting worldly ambitions over spiritual development? It's about time we stop doing that, don't you think? I 'm not against education. I'm not against bettering yourselves. But understand, friend, that you can have the smartest lost child in the world and they'll still die and go to hell. Not opposed to it, but understand that all the academics, all the betterment, all the ambition will not keep them out of hell and will not keep their life from being a wreck. You can hear as he hears about all these things and pretty soon he starts wondering what it's like out there. He starts longing for that far country. Can I say that when we become dissatisfied with Jesus, that's when we start to seek satisfaction elsewhere. You want to know why it's so important that we learn how to worship? I I mean, important that we... You know, that's not something we really think about. We think it's important that we live godly, important that we witness, and all those things are important. But it's important that we learn how to worship. Do you know why? Because our young people are looking for something that's real. And if we don't give it to them, the world will give them something real. We see that they tried to cause him to desire, but then, secondly, we see they tried to cause him to depart. And they did. They caused him to leave the Father's house, to leave the teaching and admonition and instruction that he had known. We all make our own decisions. I'm aware of that. But can I say that the world will always have a desire to pull you away from God's house? The world will always have a desire to pull you away from your Bible and your prayer closet. And you better get in your mind now how to be vigilant and to be sober because the Bible says that your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You ever notice, listen now, you ever notice, you remember growing up, they never had any kind of ball games on Wednesday night. You remember that? Now, all of a sudden, the only time they can practice is on Wednesday nights. The only time they can have a ball game is on the Lord's Day. Oh, isn't that convenient? You ever notice? I don't, I don't even know if we got any football fans, so I don't know if I'll make you mad or not. But you ever notice that they always put the big games on the Sundays? What's the devil trying to do? I'm not talking about what the NFL's trying to do. I'm not talking about what your kid's t-ball team is trying to do. But there is a mystery of iniquity that now worketh. There is a satanic conspiracy in this world to pull Christians away from the house of God. They're trying to do everything they can to get you to leave the Father's house. We see the allurement to depart. But I want you to notice in the midst of this, we see the abandonment of the world. What does he do? He goes down into that far country... Notice the timing. Can I say I'm glad we have a providential God? There's been times God has had to pull something away from me just so I'd come back to Him. And look what happens. Look at verse number 14. It says, And when He had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and He began to be in want. And He went and joined Himself to a citizen of that country, and He sent Him into His fields to feed swine. Me and my wife have been watching programs on the very last 24 hours, of famous people that have died young. The world calls them famous. And one overwhelming trend in all of them is this, that so many that this world lauded as being prominent, talented, artistic, valuable, lived in utter misery, drank themselves to death, died with a needle in their arm, died with a belly full of pills, because they were doing something to try to deaden the feeling of loss and misery. You know what happened to them, don't you? They spent all. They spent all. Want no more money to get. Want no more fame to attain to. Wasn't no more popularity to get. And they realized that it was just empty, and it gave them no satisfaction. Oh, that we could instill in Christians today that the world can never satisfy them. Never, ever, ever will the world give you what you need. Never will it. You'll spend all and then will arise the famine. You'll spend all and then will arise the famine. Notice two things that the world did to him. Notice first off that it led him to slavery. Uh, I told you a moment ago that that word falleth deals with the idea of seizing one to lead them away to prison. Well, here's where it led him to. The Bible says he joined himself to a citizen of that country. And when he did, that citizen sent him into the fields to feed his swine. Far cry from the ambitions he had when he left his daddy's house. Far cry from the bright eyes and the big dreams that once this young man held so dearly. Far cry from what he looked like when he walked down that driveway. But here he is in the midst of the pig slop. A place he never expected you to be. Let me tell you something, sin never takes you where you expect to go. Never. Never. You ask the drunkard on the street, ask him if they wanted to be a drunkard. No, they'll say I just started drinking. Start drinking socially, you know. Funny thing, did you know that alcohol is is just as addictive socially as it is in any other environment? In fact, they've done scientific studies. Now listen now, I'm going to blow your mind. They've done scientific studies. Brother Kerry, did you know that alcohol has the same alcohol content whether it is consumed regularly or socially? In fact, chemically, there's no difference between a beer that you drink at a bar listening to a honky-tonk song and a beer that you drink sitting in a fine restaurant eating a steak. You know, they, they found that. They've done studies, amen? I knew, you know, sometimes with sarcasm, if you just stick in, eventually people go, oh, okay. Some of you sitting there thinking, well, I'd like to see the paperwork on them studies. I'm just not sure about that. No, sin is sin, is sin, is sin, is sin, is sin, is still sin. And the drunkard, he didn't start off wanting to be a drunkard. The drug addict, the fellow lying dead somewhere in this city in a gutter with drugs in his body, he didn't plan that. He didn't plan that. It started in a moment. It started when he took that first step down his daddy's driveway and said, I'm done with my daddy's way of living. We see that they led him to slavery, but notice finally it led him to sorrow. Look what it says. It says that he fain would have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. I've heard preachers get up and preach sometimes and they've said things like this. Uh, They've said, "Uh, there he was eating what the pigs ate, but that's not what it says. That's saying that he had a desire to eat what the pigs would have eaten. He wanted the crumbs from the pigs' table. Now, some of us youngins are us uh, whippersnappers. I've never whipped or snapped anything, but I'm still... People call me a whippersnapper. It's hard for us to imagine. Some of you old-timers, you've been around the pig slop. I'm talking about... That's not, it's not a metaphor, okay? Uh, you've actually been around the pig sties and the pig slops. You know the smell. You know the filth. The squalor that they live in. And there was this young man... Grew up in a house where everything was provided for him. And he's trying to dig through the mud and the manure and the slop and try to just get at an already eaten husk. That's where sin leads you. That's where this worldly environment will lead you. There have been a hundred thousand preachers that have thundered this before me. And if God tarries, I hope he blesses this country with a hundred thousand more that will thunder it after I am dead and gone. It is still true. It is an absolute, unalienable fact and truth that sin will always lead you to destruction. Always. He said no man gave unto him. Ha, look at that. There he had just got through using and taking advantage of his daddy and then heading out the door when he got what he wanted. And he hooks up with a whole bunch of people. That what do they do? As long as he's got money to spend, as long as he's picking up the bar tab, they're happy. But then when he's spent all, they're gone. And no man will give unto him. No man will give unto him. We see the awakening from the world. Boys love this language. It's beautiful. It says, and when he came to himself. When he came to himself. Let me give you an example of how we might use that. Uh, Sometimes you might have ran into someone uh, in, you know, the supermarket or or the Walmart. Everybody goes to the Walmart, you know. Uh, And you ran into someone at the Walmart and they talked to you. You ever had one of them conversations and, and you knew that you knew the person, but you had no clue who you were talking to? And they talked to you for like 25 minutes. And they even gave you enough information that you knew the context that you knew them in. Like you're talking about people that you both know and stuff that's happened. And you walk away and you have no clue who you were talking to. You ever had a moment like that? And then halfway down the aisle, it comes to you. And you remember who it was. You know what happened to this man in the pig slop? It came to him. He came to himself. And he says, how many hired servants are in my father's house and they have bread enough to eat and to spare and I perish with hunger. He says, I'll go home to my father and I'll say, Father, I have sinned against thee and before heaven. Listen to the two things that he awakened to in the midst of that, that diseased, filth-ridden pig sty." The first thing that he came to was the consequence of his foolishness. Life looks a lot different after the pigsty than it does before the pigsty. Oh, that we could keep Christians out of the pigsty. But if you ever do go through that experience, it looks a lot different on the other side of the pigsty than it did before. And he says this, I have sinned. He pinpoints the cause of his current condition. I have sinned. We live in a world that doesn't like to talk about sin, it likes to talk about illnesses and sicknesses and diseases. And the drunkard, he's not a drunkard anymore, he's an alcoholic. Uh, The the fornicator and whoremonger, he's a sex addict, you know. Uh, The drug addict, uh, the person who is a druggie and who is a dopehead, now he has a disease and an illness. Oh, yes, friend, this world is full of disease, but it's not a disease like any textbook will define. The Bible teaches that this entire world is sin sick. We're all born in sin. Uh, We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the reality is this, at the very heart of every sorrow is sin. I'm not saying if you're sick, it's because you've sinned. I'm saying if you're sick, it's because Adam sinned. And I'm not saying that every single trial we go through is God trying to ring our bell and say our name and get our attention. But listen to me, friend. I I think sometimes we go so far to not discourage the person who's going through a trial of no fault of their own that sometimes we're scared to preach to those that are going through trials that is entirely the fault of their own. I'm not saying that every time you have heartache, it's because you're out of the will of God. But I am telling you uh, that some folks, that are having heartache, it's because they're out of the will of God. We find it led him to sorrow, but finally he awakens and he says, I've sinned, I've sinned. Notice the second thing he awakened to. Oh, this is where it gets enjoyable. He awakens to the consequence of his foolishness, but he awakens to the compassion of his father. You know what he says? He says, I've sinned. I've messed up. It's been me that's done this. I have made a wreck of my life. But I still have a father. You hearing me? I don't think dad heard me. I don't think anyone else did. He remembers that he still has a father. Are you getting me this morning? Doesn't matter how dark that night was. Doesn't matter how awful that pig slop was. Doesn't matter how far that he's gone. What does the Bible say in 1 John 2-1, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. No matter what you've done, it won't do away with that relationship. He may have been in a far country. He may have joined himself to a citizen. He may have, though him a Jew, and it would have been considered ceremonially deplorable. There he is in the pig slop, feigning to eat what the pig, uh, pigs would eat, but it didn't change that he had a father. It didn't change any of that. And some of you, only the Lord knows this, but in a room this size, some of you, You've taken that first step down the driveway. Some of you are halfway down. Some of you are in a far country. And some of you are just getting ready to step into the pig slop. But you just remember when that time comes. You still have a father. You still have a father. There's still one that loves you. He says, I will arise and go to my father. I'm going to give you one final thought uh broke into 16 separate subpoints, points each of which have 2 subpoints. But I'm going to give you one final thought. It's in two parts, and I'm done. We see the arrival from the world. And let me say to you, I'm not preaching everything I could preach about this. Oh, we could, I, I, I mean, listen, if it was the will of God, we could shout the rafters down, we could do cartwheels over some of the things uh, that you can preach from this passage. But I'm trying to give you something that the Lord will help you with today because I believe this is the mind and will of God for Walridge Baptist Church for this Sunday morning at this moment in eternity. I see the arrival from the world and there's two things that I notice. I want you to notice first off the porch light. Now some of you, you're looking through the passage for the porch light. And if I didn't tell you anybody, you might even go home, get out your concordance, try to find the Greek word for porch light. No, what I mean is this. When I was growing up, oh, I went through this period of time just like anybody does. You know, I was a teenager. I got a car, turned into a lunatic, you know, and and, uh, I I would stay out. We'd, you know, we'd we'd stay out and hang out with friends. And uh, today, the greatest bane to the existence of my life and my most hated moment of any time is when I realize I have to go to Walmart for something. Some of you men... I didn't expect the ladies to say amen. I said some of the men. Yeah. But when I was that age, I don't know what it, I guess because Walmart was open all night and it was safe enough you could be there, we'd hang out at Walmart all hours of the night, you know, just walk around, just do anything. Mom and Dad always said, be sure when you come in that you're quiet, that you don't wake us up. And they'd always say this, we'll leave the porch light on for you. We'd leave the porch light on for you. Now, some of you have grown up in the city and you don't know what it's like. But where I grew up, it, it was dark enough that on a moonlit night, on a full moon, you could turn your headlights off and drive by the moonlight. I mean, no, no hardly anything. There's a few street lamps out there now, but, but not much of anything. And I remember what it was like to come around that dark corner and look up and see those two glowing lights on the front of mom and daddy's house and to know they was thinking about me. Look what it says in our passage, it says that when he came to his father's house, that his father saw him afar off and ran and had compassion and fell on him and kissed his neck. It tells me something. It tells me his daddy was looking for him. It tells me his daddy still believed he would be coming home. Please listen to me this morning. Some of you have young children grown children that you've wept over and you've prayed over and you've begged God to do something in their life and you're wondering if you ever will. Can I tell you something this morning? God leaves His porch light on. You leave your porch light on. Keep going into the prayer closet and turning that porch light on. Keep asking your friends and family that know the Lord to pray with you. And keep turning that porch light on. Because God's not giving up hope for them to come back up that driveway and back into fellowship with Him. God left the porch light on, didn't He? But notice finally, and I'm done, we see the porch light. But we see the party. I know what I would have been thinking. I would have been thinking, if it had been me, and I had done this, Maybe if I commit a big enough crime, they'll lock me away and my daddy can't get to me. That's probably what I would have been thinking. No, I'm joking. But I would have been expecting punishment. And you know what? He was too. He said, Father, and I can just see him. Oh, what a beautiful passage. I can see him as he goes up to his daddy and he said, you know, he's got it all worked out. You know how we know that? Because he said it word for word. From the pigsty to the front porch. He says it word for word. He gets there and he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. uh, Daddy, I've done wrong. I've messed up. I'm not worthy. I'm not asking to be your son anymore. If I can just be a servant, I know that I have messed up. There's scars for what I've done and they can't be made right. Lord, I, I know. Just please let me be a servant. And you know what his daddy does? He ignores him. And he turns and he looks at it and he says, bring me a robe, bring me a ring, bring me shoes, kill the fatted calf, let's make merry and rejoice. You know what I thought was interesting? The father already had his mind made up before his were left, but particularly when his son And this is a spiritual thing. I'm talking about with God as the Father and you and I as the believer. Do you know why He didn't address him? Do you know why He didn't say anything about his sin? Because when that young man pulled up out of the pig slop and said, I've sinned, I'm going to go home, when he arose and decided to make his way to the daddy's house, that's a picture of conviction and repentance and confession. And before he ever made it home, it was already all worked out with his daddy. Can I tell you something? I think about the song, My Sins Are Gone, Fearing Not But God's Angry Frown. And I think about how oftentimes that we in our spiritual walks, we neglect and procrastinate in confessing and forsaking our sin before God because we just believe there's no way He could get past it or help us past it. And I wonder how often that it breaks the very heart of God Because when He looks at us, He sees His Son. He sees Jesus Christ. He sees the finished work of Calvary. And He understands that the only thing that's keeping us from fellowship with Him is our fear and our uh, unwillingness to come and to confess it to Him. So, say, preacher, what do I do if I've took one step out of the house, down the driveway? Turn around Now. Now. Turn around now. You say, Preacher, what do you mean? I mean, if you've done one thing, if you've sinned in some way, it may seem minute, it may not seem like much, but if you took a step down that driveway, stop where you are. Confess it to God. Ask Him to forgive you. Whether you're halfway down, whether you're in the far country having a good time. By the way, there is that period of time when you do have a good time. I'm being honest. That wasn't some spiritual revelation. That's just a practical truth. There is that period of time. Don't think just because you're enjoying sin right now that it's always going to be good. Or maybe you're all the way in the pig slop getting ready to starve to death wherever you're at. You make your way to the Father's house and He'll forgive and restore you. He won't just make you a servant. He'll make you a son. He'll kill the fatted calf. He'll bless you in ways you've never imagined if you'll only... Return to Him.